Welcome to Garbage of the Five Rings, a podcast with 1,000% more Totori than anyone wanted. I'm one of your hosts, Jude Vase, and today my co-host Amelia Antrim and I are sorry to announce that actually he wasn't dead, and it's a real bummer. I really hoped that the hidden emperor would just like fucking stay hidden. Like, do us all a favor, man. Wouldn't that have been called like the the missing, the absent emperor, or the the gone emperor, or the dead emperor? Then uh, look, no, because I think there was a dead emperor before, and we didn't call it the dead emperor. We called it the Scorpion Clan coup or Fair Clan enough. Wars. Or I'm just saying, like he's Taturi. He had one job. He couldn't do that job. So could he at least do this one? <laughs> Fair enough. No, he couldn't because he's not good at his job. He's not good That's at any point. jobs. His only job was to, like, sit on a chair, and he couldn't do that. And now we're like, maybe if we put him on a chair behind a closed door, and he can't well, do that either? I have a counterpoint. What if his job is to suck? In which case, he's very good at his job. No, he's not, because he's still the freaking emperor. So Yeah, but he's bad at being the emperor. I know, but people liked him enough to make him the emperor. Uh... Mm. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Okay. Hot take. Um, corrections and non-apologies. Uh, there was no uh, previous episode, so suck it, nerds. We couldn't have gotten anything wrong because we didn't even do an episode. Yeah. What instead now? we put up Instead, we put up our terrible panel uh, recording, which was surprisingly listenable and was, all, was us just being stupid. So... Uh, you can't possibly uh, correct us on that, and we definitely don't apologize for that one, even more than than usual. Well, that so, was four weeks ago. Last week, we just like the last time we were supposed to put out an episode, we just didn't do an episode. So oh, yeah, oh, that's right, that's right. We bunked off because uh, life is insane right now, and, and yeah, life didn't need more trash. Life was trashy enough. <laughs> we didn't need more that's trash. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, here's a hot take for you: fuck Las Vegas. Uh, I just got back from a conference in Las Vegas, and let me tell you, that place is terrible. Casinos are dumb. They're giant fucking malls where people get drunk and pay too much for food that they could eat somewhere else. It's a scam, and I hate it. Tell us how you really feel. I'm I'm toning that way down. That's like that's like a four. <laughs> I know it is. I know. If my opinion's at an eleven, my default opinion on Vegas is an eleven. I'm toning that down to like a four because I know people have very strong opinions about Vegas. I, I do know how you feel about it. I was in contact with you most of that time, and honestly, for some of it, wishing I wasn't. Yeah, uh, I have some I have some hot takes about Vegas, um, but it was dumb. The conference was was a lot, and I'm glad I'm not there anymore. It sounds like a hellhole, and maybe they should have done all of that nuclear testing a little closer. There you go. <laughs> uh, On that note, speaking of nuclear catastrophe. Yeah, that's the perfect transition for L5R. <laughs> Thank you. Very proud of that one. <laughs> um, so it's been a little while, so let's do a quick recap. Where did we leave off? Um, the Phoenix Clan sucks and are so desperate, they're looking for Shugenja. And they found some, and... They're Shugenja, I guess. Maybe one of them was a really bad Bushi, so they're like, maybe you'll be a better Shugenja. Yeah, But we're not going to tell you anything. Uh, Lion and Crab are up to some shit. The Crab are trying to take and or keep Kyuden Haruma. The Lion are marching toward the Crab. No one knows why, even other Lion. Also, Lion are doing spooky stuff, but don't worry about that. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. 
Uh, my favorite part of this is just that, like, they keep talking about the lion, but there's, like, four lion right now. Yeah, there's, none like, of no them are on the same clan. side. Yeah, no, there's, there's like, four mini lion clans running around fucking shit up, and nobody knows who's on whose side. And they're not even cute. No, no. Uh, there are some ronin, and they are doing cool stuff like accidentally finding blood swords that somehow got misplaced and forming minor clans after catching cultists. Um... God, there's a lot of weird – dude, minor clans, people were, I guess, real into minor clans at this point in the game's history because they're just all up and everywhere just doing weird shit. Yeah, there's so, so cool. many minor clans and they all have like two people. Yeah. Uh, Mantis. They're doing Mantis things. So basically like being dicks, I guess. Oh, just wait. There is a line in this episode that, that uh, Yoritomo says that is bananas. Okay. I'm excited for this. J- just wait. I'm, it's, I'm waiting. Yeah, it's good. Meanwhile, the Unicorn are playing uh, Law & Order Rokugan, and no one is having it because the Unicorn are useless, and everybody remembers that from the Clan Wars. Yep. They're like, we're here. Okay, great. Don't don't wear your shoes on the carpet, I guess. <laughs> Taturi has been blessedly absent this whole time. Uh, it's making things worse, we assume, but I do want to point out that we actually do not have evidence to prove that it wouldn't be way more of a clusterfuck if he was on the throne. Oh, just wait till next episode. I just want to say that, like, this is a counterfactual argument, but it might have been worse and you can't prove it because we do not have a control <laughs> in this experiment. Yep. Uh, lastly, Hitomi Crazy. Uh, she got Obsidian Hand... Crazy pants going on and uh, is fighting the Naga. And that's just kind of her thing. It's been her thing and she's going to keep having that be her thing for a little while here. Oh, that's right. She's doing those cool health code violation blood tattoos. Yep. 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 So this episode, we are finally, after many references, talking about the uh, storming possibly secret of Morikage Castle. I hate the names of these fictions. We are covering three fictions tonight. The Storming of Morikage Castle, part one of three. The Secret of Morikage Castle, part two. And The Storming of Morikage Castle, part three of three. And I just want to send a big old fuck you to whoever named these fictions. Uh, I, I hope, I hope, I hope that that fuck you goes to the person who runs Kaze Noshiro. I love you, whoever you are. You... You make this podcast possible, but also, also, I hope that this is not how they actually named these fictions, and that you just misnamed them on the website, and that this is oh, not I how they genuinely named these fictions. I don't hope that at all. I hope fictions. that they are genuinely incorrect, because, I, you know, like, here's the thing, is that life is crazy right now. I've got a lot going on, and I just really need some consistency, and you know what's consistent? The inconsistency of this game. I just, I, I, I just want to know that some things will never change. This is even by that standard. This is, naming these fictions: the Storming of Morikage Castle, Part One of Three; the Secret of Morikage Castle, Part Two; and then the Storming of Morikage Castle, Part Three of Three is so fucking infuriatingly no, no, bananas. Jude, Jude, listen to me. I'm gonna say a couple words here, and I want you to just come on this journey with me. Okay. The numbering. Of the Imperial Heralds. Okay, fuck you. Uh, fine. <laughs> what I'm saying is, <laughs> makes <Argument>. perfect sense. <laughs> Granted. All right. Point well, anyway, Amelia. 
those are the three those are the three fictions we're reading. They have dumb names. Somebody gave them dumb names. We don't know where they're from, but the names are dumb. So a couple of things at the top about these three fictions. Uh, first, it would appear that the way they wrote these fictions is they wrote a coherent story and then they put that story in a blender <laughs> and then just sort of took the pieces and just jammed them together and then cut it into three pieces and put that on the website. The narrative fucking goes just bit bops around like a rabbit on methamphetamines. And my second favorite part of this, they don't use family names. They just kind of casually refer to people like consistently. So you'll get like a reference to Doji Adoka, but then it'll just refer to Tsuri. And you're just supposed to know that that's Matsu Tsuri. And it does this all throughout these fictions. You never know who anybody is. It took me so long to read through these fictions because I could not figure out who these people were. And they kept saying, like they kept referencing the Akoma. And I was like, isn't this guy in a coma? No? Well, who is no. he? Wait, if is you, he in a Kodo? No. Okay. Yeah, if you are not like intimately familiar with every single personality in this game at the time, you are shit up a creek knowing what's going on. I spent, and I've, I mean, if there are two people on this fucking planet alive right now that should know who these people are, it really might be us. But I don't think it's me. No, no. We I I spent a lot of time on the wiki, like googling these names, figure, trying to figure out who all these people are. Which is actually really anyway. hard when you don't know their last name, like their family names. It's very hard yeah. to look them up. Yeah. Anyway, um, the the last thing I want to say about this fiction, um. This story, these three stories have an absolutely bonkers number of super important people. Um, like this is like this is six, like seven. celebrity name dropping of L five R is like all of these fictions are just like hey you know who I met last week okay we get it yeah. you know everyone and it's everyone yeah just about every single person that gets mentioned in here has like a substantial amount of backstory. Um, we can't cover them all. We, as we go through here and we come across people that have like these big bananas backstories, we'll, we'll say so. And the next time we come across them in, uh, in the storyline, we'll try and dive into those backstories. Cause we like to give these cool backstories, to these characters as we come across them, but we just don't have time. We cannot do like a deep dive on like seven major characters in here. Like, I mean, we could do a whole episode on fucking Togashi Mitsu, but we're not going to, we don't have time for that. So, yeah, unfortunately, just because of the, the way that these like vignettes are written and the amount of people and everything that we're covering, because it's just three fictions. It's, it's just those three. Granted, it's like 50 fucking pages of fiction, but it's yeah. just those three. Like, there's, I mean, unless we did, an episode on each of that? No, even if, honestly, even if we did an episode on each of these fictions, I don't think that we could cover all of the backstories no, of no, these people. Not at all. I, I mean, there's so many big name people in here and there's so much, and so many of them have so much bananas backstory that it just, it just wouldn't fit. So. Yeah. Um. So I think, well, I, they we'll trust call it out dear when we listener that it. we know that they're important we'll fucking get to it when we get to it okay yeah and we'll call it out when we come across someone that has a bunch of backstory that would be fun to cover at some point but we're not going to do it right now 
No, because right now we're talking about the oatmeal. Yep. Uh, my last note is going to be on how we cover this stuff. Um, we're not going to try and do it in the order that the fictions do it because we hate you slightly less than the fictions hate us. Um, oh boy. We've broken this down into like teams or like sort of narrative threads. So we're going to sort of talk about the various threads that go through this story, uh, starting with least important and most dumb and work our way up to the big show at the end. So let's get started. All right. Two best friends solving crimes. Hiroru and Ganawa. Except not. That's my song I wrote for them. Don't you? I told you that this is going to be like my buddy cop film. It's Turner and Hooch of L5R. <laughs> Hiroru and Ganawa. I'll work on the theme song. Okay, you do that. Okay, so... Uh, remember how Kachiko sent them to find a blood sword? Me neither. Now they're looking for Taturi. Don't worry about it. Somehow something got sidetracked somewhere. They saw Kayade. She was like, find a dude without a face or who still has a face or something. There's something about a face. I don't know. Yeah. Not important. So they are off on their journey. They're following this guy, Hito, who I think is from the Centipede clan. Yeah, um, apparently. Yeah. Because he's like, he knows something. At one point, Ganawa is like, what are we doing? Why Why are we following this guy? He knows nothing. And Hiroru's like, no, he knows something. He doesn't know the way or what he's doing, but he knows something. Like, legit line in this fiction. Um, he takes them to Kudanasawa, because clearly the phoenix left to some shit. Um, yeah. And he says that there's these ronin guards guarding the emperor for the phoenix. Specifically seven, which apparently is, like, noteworthy because Ganawa's like, how the fuck do you know there's seven? Like, that seems to be, like, a really important thing for Ganawa. He gets real, like, suspicious that he knows exactly how many Ronin there are in there. Is Ganawa, like, that bad of a scout or, like, that bad of a... I mean, because that seems like a normal thing to me. If you're, like, scouting something out and you want to know what the guard situation is, point number one, how many guards is... Right? Yeah. Like, if you were scouting something, what is the first thing that you look at? Well, I guess, so, Ganawa's thing is that Hido says, like, he got intel from the phoenix that the that these ronin were guarding the emperor in there. Not that Hido had done any kind of scouting. And he was like, that's a weirdly suspicious number of ronin for the phoenix to have told you about. I don't know. The whole thing is just okay, dumb. Okay, Ganawa, what would be a non-suspicious number of ronin? I would say three to five seems appropriate here, but seven's right. like a little bit of overkill, even if it is the emperor. Yeah, but that that is not the dumbest part of this fiction. Well, of um, course not. Uh, or of, of even this section. The dumbest part is that before they can do anything, a Sheba rides by. I want to be clear. This is a ruin, an abandoned ruin. And a Sheba oh, that's on right, his way to somewhere else. Got, like blowed up at some point, right? burned yeah. down or uh when they were doing their mahoing yeah this yeah. shiba rides by and just randomly decides to yell as he rides by into the darkness tutori's been found tutori's been found just shouting into the dark no reason whatsoever the british are coming the british are coming <laughs> exactly um ganawa flips out Rage monster style and tries to cut Hiro in half and does, but all that happens is 
Hito collapses Obi-Wan style and turns into a shadow and laughs at them for being gullible chuckle fucks. Um, so technically, Hiroru was right. He, he went, there was something going on there. Yeah. Um, I really love that they took the word count out of these three stories, this 50 pages or, or whatever of story. They took the word count to have Hiroru and Ganawa get clowned on for what, as best as I can discern, is zero narrative purpose. This section, th- this little bit of Hiroru and Ganawa serves no purpose except to show them getting goofed. And I'm into it. Well, I mean, they did encounter that guy with no face or shadow or something, right? But it doesn't go anywhere. They literally just dead end. Like, it doesn't do anything. It serves no purpose in this story except to show that the two of them are gullible dumbasses. Hiroru and Ganawa solving crimes. Gullible dumbasses. No, your song's not as good as mine. God. Uh, I, but it's more accurate. <laughs> TBD. Uh, anyway, that's the end of them. Uh, well, unfortunately, no, but for this section anyway. Well, that's the end of their section. Um, we're going to move on to other narratively questionable nonsense and talk about uh, the Kolot. Our buddy Kage is back, and now he's got uh, a friend. Hey, Jude, what's the Kolot? I don't know. And after reading these fictions, I still don't know. <laughs> Who the fuck knows? Uh, yeah, these were these were weird. Um, our good pal Kage is still hanging around, still, still just being a real creep, looking out windows, yeah. looking through walls, standing over people's shoulders. Akoto Kage has no sense of like personal space or privacy, and he makes me supremely uncomfortable. Or time space? I don't know. Okay, so. There, the very first time we see him in these fictions, him and his new buddy, Apprentice. I would say like Apprentice. That's slave. Uh, mm-hmm. Dorai. Um, watch a Doji Adoka kill Kakita Arateka, who we'll talk a, more about in a little bit here. Uh, it is not at all clear how they do this. Are they peeking through the eyes of a painting, Scooby-Doo style? I thought it are said they that behind a door? Are they peeking from around a door edge? Didn't it say it's that they were like? Clear. No, I feel like it is clear. Actually, I feel like they said. Oh it. no, I read that my, section several looking times. Looking through my notes because I'm pretty sure. Um, they whispered from the hidden chamber as Arieko passed in conversation with the blood speaker. Oh well, bite me. It's um, the, like second line of that. It it okay fine. Well, it's it's very it's a very weird Point section. So Amelia. they watch. That's two points for me, dude. All right, we're keeping score. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they watch Doji Adoka kill Kakita Arateko, and I'm not entirely sure why. Um, like why they're watching or why that killing happens. Why they're watching? Oh, okay. Then there's a scene where Kage is using his chi to project his thoughts into Dorai. Uh, Dorai is basically sitting there, like, blanking his mind, trying to absorb uh, Kage's thoughts to make himself be basically like a little radio antenna so he can write, so he can write notes long distance for, for Kage. Uh, and then in the last scene, we see Kage has fully programmed Dorai, basically, and Dorai is like a a willing slave to Kage and is ready to die for him. And they talk about faking his death so he can become a, a fully fledged agent of the Kolot. 
I think my favorite part of all of this is the number of times in the scene where they're doing the calligraphy and everything, the number of times it's mentioned that Dorai, not as good as Haruru. I know. I was just about to say how frequently Haruru could have done it. Yeah, how frequently Kage laments that Haroru was a better student that, than Dorai is. I also like the note that, like, and far away, Haroru knew his master's thoughts. So, like, he's trying to project this onto Dorai, but, like, Dorai can't do it. So, apparently, Haroru knows what Kage is up to also. Yes. Somewhere, like, you know, a thousand miles away, Dorai is like, the bird squawks at midnight. God, why? Like, he's getting these random, like, messages projected into his brain. Yeah, I... What I gathered from this is that Kage's a creep and Dorai's kind of a fuck up. Yeah, you get a distinct impression that Dorai is like a real like moment of desperation um, JV squad. He's not the hero we need, but gosh darn it, he's alive. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's also, like all things Kolot, nothing is explained. It's not at all clear... What's going on, or why Dorai is being trained, or who he is, or why any of this is important? Um, yeah, that's you. Basically, we're just given a bunch of weird ass random scenes of these two guys, and you're expected to fucking either know what's up or just enjoy the enjoy the atmosphere. <laughs> come, come on this journey with us. Yeah, exactly. Cute, um, me. Oh God. Okay. Let's go ahead ready and for some ca- castle spooks a lot. Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's let's have some fun with that. Um, the first thing we get is some a, a thing I actually like. This part's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a scene of the imperial court where everyone is talking about the fact that there's famine happening, and everyone's like, "Man, we're all gonna fucking starve. We're all gonna die. This what is a terrible." Bummer. I was and hungry. Then an ambassador from the dragon shows up and says, "We have food fucking for days." It's, we have so much food. Jesus Christ. God, it's what are so we going to do food. with all this food? We have nowhere to put it. Gosh, yeah, what a burden just, for us. It's just fallen out of our ca- – oh, did I mention it's all in our castle? Oh, yeah. You can have the food. You just got to come to our castle and get it. And everyone in the court is like, uh, oh, uh, oh, I see. I see. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, basically, they're saying that if you want if you want this food – you have to march through the dragon forces and the other Naga and the Naga forces and come get it. Um, so they've basically blackmailed the empire into t- picking a side in this Naga v dragon fight uh, in order to get the food. And the empire's like, "Well, I guess we're gonna go kill some Naga," and they seem okay with that. And maybe we can eat them too. No, they don't say that, yeah. but I was thinking it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's that's how it starts. Um, um, yeah, so then we go back to Cute and Hitomi, and she's having this chat with Kitsu- Kitsuki Kagi. Um, and it's like real spooky, and she's like, I, the way they describe it is like she can see all of time in slow motion with her one spooky eye and her one regular eye, and arms are whispering to her, and like it's very ominous, and there's all kinds of like. I don't know, weird spooky stuff happening. It's yeah, it's very mood, very like Yeah, there's an very, aesthetic and yeah, for sure. she's she's doing it. But there's also like all of these references to uncovering 
how to remove the shadow from this thing, right? Have they yeah. have they defined what this thing is yet? It's still just the thing. Yeah, they they talk about um, how in the course of this conversation they talk about the fact that Hitomi has constructed a crystal chamber according to the information in Kagi's journals and memories she has from Togashi and trapped her quote inside it with the goal of purging her of the shadows and kagi is like no you're fucking crazy this is impossible kagi one note i want to make um kagi is one of those people we talked about earlier that has an absolutely bonkers amount of backstory um like just fucking pages of it on the wiki and like just i mean the book um god which which book is it way of the Uh, shadow rpg book Way of the uh, Secrets of the Dragon. Oh. Is it Secret of the Dragon? Or Way of the Shadow? One of those two. I'm reading your notes and it says Way of the Shadow. Oh, yeah. There it is. Uh, Way of the Shadow is basically, like, all about Kagi. Um, it's just bananas. Um, it, how much backstory this guy gets in there. Uh, and someday I, I would really love to cover it because it's actually really cool and interesting. But... Um, he is a. Sh- it's later revealed at this at the time when this fiction is written. He's just a guy she's talking to. But it's later revealed that he is a shadow hunter or was a shadow hunter. Do we know what shadow um, hunters are? No, they never explain what that means. Okay, because I was like, he, I don't, I don't know what that is. He's a guy who hunts the shadows. Um, in the course seems- of his life, obvious. I know. <laughs> Um, he's the guy who became extremely well-versed in the nothing and wrote this journal. And at the time of when this is happening, he's actually kind of dead slash trapped by the nothing. And what she's talking to at the moment is a piece of his soul that has been corrupted by the nothing and is trying to tempt her into making bad decisions. But she's not but, listening to it. I mean, right? is she? Well, I don't know. Here, it's hard to tell like what decisions she's with making. Her. Right? So, like, in this fiction, he's like, no, you can't do that. And she's like, fucking watch me, bro. Yeah, that's what's ironic about this is it's clearly, like, in the context of just this fiction, if you don't know that outside context, that outside information, he clearly seems to be urging her to, like, not make these bad decisions. And she's like, I'm going to do it. I'm a Oh, it's YOLO. some classic and reverse psychology. Yeah, right? Okay. Okay. Shadow's playing so, the long game. So that's that's where Hitomi is at the moment. Um, there's also, in a later on in the fiction, she has a, like a chest beating contest, I guess would be the best way I could describe it, uh, with, what's his name? Kokujin, where they they beef over who is, I don't know, the, the craziest dragon in the room. And she threatens him with how many swords she's got. Oh, oh, is this the part? <laughs> is this yeah. the part? Where did it go? I don't even remember. I, I feel like I underlined it. It was at the bottom of a page. But she was just like, fuck you. I have four swords. What now, motherfucker? And yeah. it was so good. I don't. Kokujin is super proud of the fact that he's, he's like the one that does all the tattooing. And Hitomi is like, bite me none i'm the dragon i'm the whole of the dragon and nothing you do works without me so step off you crazy crazy person i just love that she's like you got because like everybody's like we got a sword and the dragon are like fuck you we got two swords and then Hitomi shows up and she's like fuck all y'all i got four fucking swords yeah it's very good i just like this exponential Um, increase in swords and it just makes me very happy (laughs) 
<laughs> like so excited about this. How, how does she have enough arms for four swords? Like, what are you doing with four swords? Maybe she throws them. I don't know. Oh my god, that's very exciting. I want to know what I, I want to follow this this sword story. Who's gonna the have sword 16? multiplication? Who will have sixteen swords? That's uh, that's some math for you nerds. Well, we'll find out. We'll see in the future. I bet you somebody uses more than four swords in the future. Um, Kokujin is another one of those characters. Kokujin literally is carded right up until like. I think like the last set of the game. These guys are going to stick around forever. Uh, he already has a bonkers backstory. We will cover him at some point in the future. But suffice to say, Coco Jin's not going anywhere. So we we will have plenty of opportunities to talk more about him in the future. Is our next episode just the backstories of all of these people? I mean, we could. Geez, we could do two more episodes just on the backstories of all these people. Gosh, they're all cool people. Um. So let's move on. Uh. From one clan that's having some difficulties to another uh the crab the crab are kind of fucked want to hear a joke <laughs> hey there it is all right <laughs> um i i'm reluctant to say that there is actually a part of this i love uh on which we'll get to in a second is but, this a part of um yes yeah. i'm like yeah. i just yeah. i just circled the whole thing around. fucking yes <laughs> Yeah. In red pen. So things are going great for the crab. Uh, Yakimo is still trapped at Kyuden Haruma. You'll recall uh, later he dies. Yes. Yes, later he dies, okay. which is great. Uh, but at the moment when this is happening, um, Yakimo is at Kyuden Haruma, and Oushi is getting sandwiched on the wall between Onis on the Shadowlands side and the approaching lion armies. No communication is getting in or out, and things are going bad. She is Oshi. sending these scouts out and like these messengers, uh, these unicorn messengers over and over and over. And like, I think at one point it says she sent like 20 of them and they just keep not coming back. And she's like, well, that's a bummer. Sacrifices yeah. must be made. Like, yeah. what? No. If a thing isn't working, stop doing that thing. Yeah. Just um, tactics 101, I would assume. Well, but also the crab. They're oh, all about sacrifice. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and on that sacrifice note, she apparently has found a ratling who says that there is a route into Kyuden Haruma, and she's determined to go herself. Um, this is the part that I absolutely adore. Um, there's a scene where uh, her husband, Yasumura, is talking to Oshi's uncle, whose name escapes me. Uh, um, Tsuru. I, what's that? Tsuru. Tsuru. So Yasumura and Tsuru are talking, and Yasumura is backing Oishi's play uh, 100%. And Tsuru is like, you're, you're fucking bananas. Um, are you prepared to, you know, f if you're going to follow her, are you prepared to do what's necessary? Are you prepared to kill her if she becomes tainted? And his reply is oh, like... This is, here, can I, can I just read this? Yeah, just read it. It's so good. Would you kill her when she rises in the Shadowlands? Tsuru looked into the eyes of the son of Shinjo. When you can say yes then you will know what it means to be a crab. Yasumura stepped lively onto his steed's high saddle, weighing the spear in his hand before he answered, No, Tsuru, I would not be able to cut my wife down if she rose again from the ashes of that place. I would not be there. Tsuru's scorn was apparent, but Yasumura continued, The answer is simple, uncle of my wife. If Oushi has fallen, know this. I will have already died. 
It's so good. I love him so much. What a sweet boy. He's I love that this is this is a guy that is like so pure and it's this is what crab should be. Like crab should not be Yakimo's big old like, it's like chest beating measure dick my measuring. balls chest beating. Yeah. yeah. God, I like that we went uh, the same place. <laughs> <laughs> um and it shouldn't be Hidekasada's arrogant like monster deal bullshit yasamura is the best crab we've seen he and oushi are the best crabs we've seen so far and i love that his reply is just like i of course i don't have to i wouldn't kill have to kill her because i'll already be dead it's i just love that he's like there's no way like if if that happens to her there's no way i'm still alive like well it's way too late (laughs) yeah yeah he just takes it as a given that he will have already died for her at that point and I like that her uncle is just like, all right, you get it. Yep. Yep. Oh, it's gosh, very good. I, I love them. I love them so yeah. much. Uh, I mean, I look, really like Oushi, honestly. Yeah, I do too. I, I mean, look, my credentials for hating the crab are extraordinarily well established on this podcast. But uh, there's an exception to every rule. And Oushi and Yasamura are the exceptions to the crab suck. Yeah, I mean, like, who'd a, who'd a thunk? A crab and a unicorn. Yep. But they make it work. They They're do. great. They do. Good for them, you know? Good for them. Right? Oh, this next section sucks. It doesn't suck because it's got Shahai in it, which is fantastic. But uh, there are parts of this I don't like. Uh, Seppun Kasori. Uh, I'm super torn on Seppun Kasori. Uh, I don't know if you poked around on her backstory any... I didn't look into her backstory. I just kind of read the description that's like um, in here, which seemed like, eh, fine. So, they did mention several times that she's fat, which I didn't love, but. Yeah. So her backstory is basically, what if Kachiko only drunk and not, and like, not as attractive, but still sexy? Like, oh, her backstory. Dude, I will reiterate. All women are sexy. Yeah, I don't like the way they they spin her though. So she's she's got all the basic traits of Kajiko. She's manipulative. They give her a story. They give her a story at one point where she like sleeps with a bunch of the guys cool. and gets into trouble, like manipulating them because of it. She can like use her feminine wiles on people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She like has designs on the throne because she's of the imperial bloodline, and that's kind of what she's up to here. But she also gets drunk a lot, and there's definitely a weird, shamey tone to the way that she's described that I'm not excited about. Mm. Um, so, love it. I'm not into it. Love it. Um, um, not surprised by it. Yeah, there's there's just some stuff about uh, the way that she's described that reads gross to me. Uh, anyway, so what happens with Kasori? Kasori is basically wheeling and dealing in the absence of the emperor. Um, first, she finds a bunch of ronin. For Sukune, uh, and hires them Seven off. Seven of them, or would you say no? Uh, <laughs> many of them, apparently. Oh, okay. Uh, and in return, gets a fat box of Koku with Phoenix Mon stamped on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in her next scene, she goes to the unicorn, specifically to our girl Shahai, and gives this big box of Phoenix Koku to Shahai in order for the unicorn to support her when she tries to take the throne. 
Yeah, um, I like the way that, like, because this is, some of this is described from Shahai's point of view, that she's like, yeah, you're not fooling anyone. I know exactly what this is for, but, like, why do I care? The emperor's not on the throne. I don't give a shit who's on the throne, because I'm just going to, like, end the world anyway, so what does it matter? Yeah, yeah. No, it's very good. Uh, Shahai clearly has, is like, I'm going to take this money and do bad things with it, and peace. Uh, it's very good. Yeah, she's like, uh, she's like, oh, Kasori thinks that we're gonna use it to like feed our peasants and stuff, but like, nah, no, don't be ridiculous. Yep. Uh, what she does do with it though is pretty interesting, uh, and that's what we're gonna talk about now. Um, so let's talk about the crane. Okay. Um, there's. Okay, so he- hear me out. Um, okay. Why are the crane here? In any of this, I, I feel uh, like a lot of these other plots sort of intertwined, and I was like, okay, I get where these people come from and what's happening here. Also, the craner here. Uh, I don't. I I can't. I cannot disagree with you there. Um, so far as I can tell, the cra- they're setting stuff up here. Okay. I have to assume because what they're basically doing. So the short version is that Doji Adoka air quotes, uh-huh. um, is in fact a, um, is actually an Asahina who is uh, corrupted years ago by Yajindan and takes the name Doji Adoka. He's got a huge amount of backstory. Uh, we're not going to get into it, but basically he's a, uh, an Asahina who was corrupted and becomes a blood speaker and takes the name Doji Adoka and goes underground. Um, he runs a dojo called the Graceful Crane Dojo, which is a real dojo, but is a cover for his Bloodspeaker cell, which has a super goth name called the Beauty of Death Cell, but which I mention only because, and I quote, recruited the eager but less skillful students, which I think is very good. Hmm. Um, Smart. He, in the very first scene we talked about, he kills Kakita Arateko and then flees um, the wherever it is that they are. And it's not at all clear why the hell he does this, except perhaps to piss off uh, Daidoji Sembi uh, and Daidoji Uji. Uh, Sembi is Arateko's nephew and just absolutely loses his goddamn mind over this. The most like, impotent of rage, though. I want to be really clear. It is the most impotent of rage to the point where, like, he gets mad and then is, like, swinging his sword around and is like, and, so, and then throws up. Yeah, he's tanked in a field shouting about stuff. And Uji is just like, you fucking clown. Jesus. <laughs> I love Daidoji Uji, and I love that he's just has no patience for this goober. Um, <laughs> this guy. It just, oh, man. This guy. Um, so I don't... I, I mean, I, I think they must be... So the end result here, though, is that they eventually discover that they discover the Phoenix Koku that Shahai got um, was... It, and, they, and they're told that this was uh, Doji... Uh, Doji Adoka, Doji Adoka's money. And they believe, therefore, that the Bloodspeakers use, and the Bloodspeakers use this money to frame the Phoenix. And 
So basically, uh, it looks like, because of Shahai, it looks like the Phoenix are funding these Bloodspeakers. Right? Uh, yeah, it looks like, well, no, it looks like the they don't know that um, Doji Adoka is a Bloodspeaker yet. Oh, okay. They just know that he killed uh, he killed Arateko, and they believe that this murder was committed, was commissioned for money by the Phoenix. Oh, this is a Phoenix hit job. Yeah. So... It has to be some kind of a setup for something later. But what you, the result is that you now have the, the crane pissed off at the Phoenix. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're almost there, there guys. Just we're, kidding. We're like halfway done. No. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. We're, we're slowly making our way to the, uh, the, the main story. We have, we're getting there. So let's get into the really confusing part. <laughs> Oh, God. Um, so, again, like we said before, there's – they keep just using given names and not family names. So, they keep referring to all of these lion. And if you'll recall, like, the lion are split up kind of all over the place because um, Ikoma Tsunori has taken her troops over to the crab. You have uh, – what's-his-face doing spooky stuff – um, what's his name? Why can't I think of his name? Doesn't really matter. He's the Jade Champion. Um, and then you have, like, some Matsu running around. And, it, like, it's, everybody's all over the place. And they're all kind of fighting with each other a little bit, too. Yeah. Except that we don't know who's who in any of these stories. Yeah. Yeah. So, we start out with Turi, no name given. I had to literally look him up on the goddamn wiki to figure out what this guy's family name was. Mm-hmm. Um, is tracking is part of a group that's tracking rumors of the emperor when he sees mantis banners and realizes that the whole thing is a trap. Um, it's he sees the Ikoma sh- doing a deal with the mantis and realizes that he's been conned and he breaks out and runs and. It basically ends up bailing down a cliff with his horse and barely survives the fall and ends up at the bottom of this cliff at the feet of some phoenix, um, including Shiba Tetsu, who was described as both the commander of the house guard of the phoenix and then later as Hoichu's Yojimbo. I don't know if those are contradictory or if somebody wasn't sharing notes, but... That, that that those are the two descriptions we get for this guy for Shiba Tetsu. Um, next we see them several like in the next fiction. Uh, this group of Phoenix has been reduced down to just those three: to Hoichu, Tetsu, and Turi, and they're fighting restless spirits, not the shadows. No, because we need more things to fight. Morikagi is a, is according to Hoichu. Um, infested with restless spirits of those who died in shame without honor, who have been riled up by the faceless ones, by the shadows. Okay, but not Trader's Grove. No, not Trader's Grove. Different restless spirits of people that died in shame without honor. Yes. A different spooky, shameful forest. Yes, exactly. Just to be clear. Okay. Uh, so they're seeing all these past battles, and they realize that what they're seeing is Kyud Nisawa on the Day of Thunder, when Hoichu's father, Isawa Tsuke, went all bibbledy. And apparently, even spirits can 
spit fire because they're getting roasted. Uh, That's by totally these safe in a forest. Yeah, right? So Hoichu st- stays behind to let them keep looking for the emperor and to fight his dad's spirit. Because he's got daddy issues. Yeah. Uh, and this is, and the reason for this is Turi has told them that he was given a prophecy by Kede? Um, was it Kede? To save a lion's soul. I want to say it was Kede, but I might be there's wrong. There's also this weird line, like, early on after he, like, crashes his horse. Because I, w- I want to point out, too, that, like, according to this, he does it on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, he, like, crashes his horse down the cliff to get away. Right. When Tetsu shows up... Um, Tetsu says, you will be needed. You are destined to contain the spirit that was trapped within this foul place. Sawakayade has told us this as she has foretold that we would find you here. Yeah. So he, there's this prophecy that Kaede has given that he's going to save a lion's soul. Uh, and he thinks that it's Tatori's. So they're like, well, we got to move you along. But while they're wandering around in this forest, he dealing with these uh, restless ones, he comes to realize that it's not Tatori that he's there to save. It's Tsuko, who has become one of those who have been denied peace and must walk forever, reliving the events of their lives until they are given peace or until they have been forgotten. So he watches her final moments for a little while. And like, it's actually it's a reasonably well-written little scene here where he's sort of dealing with her spirit. But not important to the story at no, all. No, completely like, that's fucking the thing pointless. Is, like, do Everything we not about- have enough people in these stories? We don't need more people. Everything about this per- this section, everything about Matsuturi, everything about Hoichu, everything about this is fucking pointless. It has no bearing on, on the wider story, the narrative of this of these fictions. He eventually promises her that he will unite the lion to give her peace. I'm really looking forward to that not following through. So there you go. Uh, last section before we actually get into the meat of this episode. Are you? Oh, oh God. <laughs> Almost done with the preamble. Right? Okay. Togashi Hoshi is in Murakagi Forest for reasons? I mean, why not? Everybody else is. How big is this forest? Yeah. With him are a unicorn named uh, Otaku Shang-Chi, a, and then his buddies, uh, Togashi Mitsu and Togashi Suana. I don't know why she's there. Who's Yang-Chi? Yeah. I don't know. It's not at all clear to me what, what she's doing there. Uh, they never mentioned that. They don't even mention her family name. They just refer to her as Zhang Chi the whole time. Yeah, I kind of wondered that. I was like, who who is this lady? Um, she is apparently um, Kamoko's cousin, and who has, in the backstory that I found for her, constantly been jealous of Kamoko because Kamoko's all fancy in the thunder. Um, and, yeah, but that is not like, shown no. in the story because she's she's super like loyal and dedicated to Kamoko in this story but whatever um anyway she thinks that she's supposed to be following tetsuko the leader of the battle maidens but hoshi and mitsu tell her to follow her karma and go to protect komoko she also has something called the armor of the earth which i guess if you played the card game at the time would mean something to you if you just read the story you don't have any idea what it is but it's basically magical armor it's not a spell that you can do armor of earth yeah it's like it's like yeah it's like a spell armor it's like mage armor if you play D&D. Um, Who does that? Uh, yeah. Role-playing we're games. 
not going to get into what Shang Chi's deal is because um, she's gonna she's gonna show up on Team Oatmeal as I've referred to them later on. Let's get that but, on a shirt. Yeah, Team Oatmeal. Yeah, um, I want to be on Team Oatmeal though. But basically, um, Shang Chi vanishes, and after she's gone, Hoshi, Mitsu, and Suwana are swamped by spirits and shadows, and things look really shitty. Wait, where did Suwana come from? He's been there the whole time. Well, I don't. That name was not in your list in the beginning. Uh, yeah, I forgot him on the list, but he's been there with Hoshi and Mitsu. The oh whole my time. god, I can't handle more people, Jude. Who's a Suwana? Um, who? Who's Suwana? Togashi Suwana. Okay. All right. It's another monk person. Um, Mitsu is the one that breathes fire. Suwana is all about earth. Cool. So. Oh, that's why they had to get rid of Zheng Chi, because they were like, we can't have two earths here. Yeah, right? That's too, um, that's too many earths. And then all of a sudden, uh, Isai shows up. Who's Isai? Uh, she's a monk with one of the most just bananas. I keep saying that, but it is an absolutely ridiculous backstory we need to someone someone dear listeners would someone mail us a thesaurus <laughs> so we can look up other words for absurd ridiculous stupid right I, like we're, we're running out of words she is apparently a void prodigy her whole backstory uh, i mean i can't even she's another character that is going to be around for a while she has a bonkers backstory so we'll get into it later why are there all these void she, prodigies, too? Once again, I would like to point out, Kaede's still alive, and she's the freaking oracle of the void. Why are all these other people trying to come in on her turf and I do this void shit? I don't know. She's having a vision about Hoshi and Mitsu and Suwana and steps out of her vision. She, like, walks through her vision and grabs Hoshi's hand and is like, Hey, good looking. Let's get out of here. Um, and yanks them out of the yanks the three of them through her vision out of there, and they disappear. Um, in a later fiction, it is revealed that she could not have done that on her own, and it was actually Tagashi f- working through Hitomi that gave her an assist on that one, and like. Gave her the extra sauce she needed to to make that happen. Tugashi was inside of who? Hitomi. Like Hitomi feels this weird like sadness as he as she sees in a vision that Hoshi is in danger, and she feels like this presence inside her that like moves her to reach out and assist Isai in this teleportation thing, even though Hoshi is like. Her enemy and him dying would be soups convenient for her. <laughs> okay. Whatever, L5R. Whatever. Just. Yep. Whatever. Uh, I give worth up. Worth noting, um, Isai and Hoshi will produce uh, a kid someday <laughs> who will be Togashi. I like how you so, say that. They will produce a kid. Yep. So Like they're writing uh, a play together. Like... <laughs> Well, I don't know how they do their business in the dragon, but uh, I do want to point out that Hoshi is both uh, his father's son and his son's and his father's father. His father's son and his son's father. <laughs> no, his, his. I know his father's father and his son's yeah. his father's son. I'm my own grandpa. <laughs> yeah, more I mean, or less. Yeah, yeah, technically. Oh no. Oh. Tagashi uh, 
will return in the form of uh, his. I mean, that's not like returning is different, though. Right? Like people are like reincarnate. What? You know what? Yeah. I can't. Anyway, we'll get there. Time. It's a flat circle. Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, as it turns out, this uh, series of fictions is full of enough bullshit to, for two episodes. So next episode, we will talk about Team Oatmeal. Um, You're welcome, dear listeners. You got an extra two weeks, an extra two to turry free weeks. Yep. Next episode, we will cover which, which group of unfortunates we have to blame for the return of Tatori. <laughs> And how nonsense and bullshit the whole process of him returning is. Do you realize? Okay, 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 back it up, back it up, back it up. Do you realize that this Team Oatmeal episode comes out on Christmas Eve? Does it? <laughs> Merry fucking Christmas, assholes. Tuturi is back. Garbage of the Five Rings is an independent production and can be found online at www.garbageofthefiverings.com and on Twitter at G5R Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Amelia Antrim, and I can be found on Twitter at Ginger Reckoning. My co-host, Jude Vase, can be found on Twitter at Aramidic Jude. Sources for this episode and further information on the topics discussed can be found in the show notes. Thanks for letting us waste your time. We'll be back in two weeks.